Hello, soulmates. Hope that weekend was good. Plenty to talk about on this Monday, January 9th. Happy Founders Day to the men of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Maybe that explains why you're wearing blue today. Well, this is a different kind of blue. Actually, this is, you know, I'm from Detroit. This is Hawaiian blue. Go Lions. Oh, okay. All, right. all right. Well, we're honored to be here with you wearing your Lion blue. Love my Sigmas, though. And to be with all of you, again, standing behind this desk, taking you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people. That's right. We're going to continue to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's take a look at the top headline for today. So many questions continue to linger after a six-year-old student shot his teacher inside the class and happened at an elementary school in Newport News, Virginia on Friday. That's right, Courtney. The teacher was rushed to the hospital with life-threatening injuries and is now listed in stable conditions. The school was closed today and tomorrow for the community to process this tragedy and for school officials to arrange for counselors as needed. Meanwhile, officials are demanding answers and changes. Fox's Lucas Tomlinson has this story. It's a school shooting scenario that seems almost unthinkable. Police in Newport News, Virginia, say a six-year-old student shot their teacher Friday during an altercation inside their first grade classroom. As you can imagine, this is a hard situation. It's a hard situation for families. I saw a lot of tears today. I saw a lot of tears today, and I'm not just talking about in students' eyes. The teacher, a woman in her 30s, was hospitalized with life-threatening injuries. Police say the shooting was not an accident. Investigators are working to determine how a first grader was able to get their hands on a gun. There's some questions we'll want to ask and, and find out about. I want to know where that firearm came from. What, what, what was the situation? Where did this child come from? We have to do something about this gun. It is taking over now. It's taking over our baby. It's unclear what will happen to the student. Virginia law limits what kind of punishment a child that young can face. But some parents say the problem lies elsewhere. Let's do something. We've got a new governor now. Let's do something. Let's change it. You've got a beautiful country. You've got beautiful people. But what's the problem? Guns. It's a dark day for Newport News. We're going to, we're going to learn from this and we're going to come back stronger. The superintendent says the school will be closed on Monday while authorities continue their investigation. Lucas Tomlinson, Fox 2 News. Just another oh. tragedy. I mean, you know, my goodness, you know, it feels like every week we're reporting on another shooting and, you know, the age of the perpetrators, you know, um, aren't getting older, they're getting younger. And it takes I, you I mean, aback. Six years old? It really does. This How does a six-year-old get a gun? How does a six-year-old get a loaded gun? How does a six-year-old get a loaded gun into the classroom? And how is there even a struggle that happens between the teacher and the student with a gun? So many unanswered questions yeah. with this story. And this story broke, um, you know, after we wrapped up for the day uh, on a lot of people's minds over the weekend, uh, up for debate across social media. And a According to reports, um, th this six-year-old's actions uh, were uh, intentional. I mean, this is this is this is what uh, the boy—it's been identified as a, as a young boy—meant um, to do. Now, this is according to uh, some of the reports that, that that we've seen over the weekend, which continues uh, to blow my mind. And yeah, you're right, Nick Cordelai. We're going to have to figure out how he was able to uh, get a hold of this gun, uh, enter the school, uh, and actually, um, you know, the, whatever the incidents were leading up to this. 
um, are just, it's just mind-boggling. And whether it's a six-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 27-year-old, um, you know, there are, you know, these guns have to be taken out of the hands of those who should not have access to them. So uh, you're right, as a, as a country, we've got a lot of work to do, and it just, it breaks your heart that this is happening at the top of the year, only in the second year of, uh, uh, second week of the year. And um, I, I, I had no words for this particular story, no it's, words. It's really a call to action, and this is a part of the country that's still healing from, remember the Walmart yes. shooting that happened not too far away in Chesapeake? I have family that live in the mm -hmm. Norfolk, Norfolk and the three football uh, Hampton players. Roads area. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, you know, goodness gracious, you know, give people a chance to, to heal from yeah. the previous tragedy mm -hmm. uh, without adding uh, another. And to the comment that was made in the package about mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Virginia governor uh, doing something about this. Um, you know, we know that uh, Governor Youngkin mm -hmm. um, has been supported by the NRA, and so that's probably not very likely. Um, but, uh, you know, we can't stop. We've got to continue to, to, to push so that stories like this don't become the norm. I agree. Well, now off to Nevada, where in Las Vegas, at La Las Vegas High School, uh, a student is dead after suffering a medical emergency during her flag football game at Las Vegas High School. 16-year-old Ashari Hughes collapsed after going to the bench on Thursday after experiencing chest problems. She was given CPR by a nurse in the stands. A defibrillator was also used to regain a heartbeat, but she died while arriving to the hospital. Hughes' father says that she had a heart problem but was cleared to play by a cardiologist. Thursday's game was going to be Hughes' last until her heart issues subsided, the family said. She was scheduled to have a doctor's appointment on Friday. The actual cause of death is still unknown. All right, such a sad story. Prayers to her family. Now to Phoenix, where the Wall Street Journal is asking for answers from that police department after one of its black reporters was handcuffed and detained shortly after conducting interviews outside of a Chase Bank. Now, the incident between reporter Dion Robin and the Phoenix police officer took place in November, but just became public this week or last week, rather, after local news in Phoenix reported the incident. Documents show that Robin, Robin uh, was handcuffed handcuffed and detained shortly after conducting interviews about savings accounts outside of a Chase Bank. Rabowen says he was in street clothes because he did not want people to believe he was trying to sell them something. He then said that uh, he was unaware the sidewalk in front of the bank was private property and that the bank's employees did not ask him to leave. Now the department, police department that is, said it has launched an internal investigation into the incident. In Norfolk, Virginia, a trial is set to begin for the U.S. Army lieutenant who was pepper sprayed, attacked and handcuffed by police. Video of the 20-0 traffic stop, uh, the, that's the uh, 2020 traffic stop. It got millions of views uh, the next year after uh, Karan Nazario filed the federal lawsuit that is now being heard, highlighting fears of mistreatment among black drivers and intensifying the scrutiny of the boundaries of reasonable and legal police conduct. Now, since the traffic stop, Nazario says he has developed anxiety, depression, and PTSD. This is according to his lawsuit. Uh, he's been unable to leave home at time due to hypervigilance regarding the potential for harassment by law enforcement. 
two agriculture business uh, businesses in the Mississippi Delta, along with a group of black farm workers, have settled lawsuits over claims of farms hired white laborers from South Africa and paid them more than the local black employees for the same type of work. Southern Migrant Legal Services and the Mississippi Center for Justice filed one of the lawsuits in September of 21 on behalf of six workers against Pitts Farms Partnership, which grows cotton, soybean and corn. Now two more plaintiffs joined the suit in November of 21. Now the groups filed the other lawsuits in April on behalf of five workers against a catfish grower. Federal court records show the two lawsuits were settled back in December with the terms of the settlements remaining private. In South Carolina, federal judges have ordered lawmakers to draw new congressional maps. This all comes after courts ruled that the U.S. House district lines of a seat flipped by Democrats four years ago were intentionally redrawn to split black neighborhoods to dilute the voting power. The state used the maps in the past November's and uh, this past November's midterm elections after the Republican dominated state legislature redrew the lines earlier last year following the 2020 U.S. Census. Now, the ruling said that the coastal first district running from Charleston to Hilton Head Island was drawn to remove black voters and make it a safer seat for Republicans. The judges requested uh, state lawmakers passed new U.S. House maps by the end of March. They said no election can take place in the first district until it's redrawn. To California now where civil rights officials are suing two Sacramento landlords alleging they illegally harassed and evicted a tenant because she paid using a Section 8 voucher. The lawsuit is the first brought by the state civil rights department under a 2020 state law, making it illegal for landlords to refuse to accept tenants who pay with subsidies like Section 8. The Section 8 program is one of the U.S. government's most powerful tools to keeping rental housing affordable and to fight overcrowding and homelessness. Now, according to court documents, the eviction notice and harassment were prompted by the tenant's refusal to continue making additional monthly payments that the landlords demanded but were not required by the voucher program. Oh, when you talk about Section 8, so many layers. And I would think in order for us to make a real accurate uh, comment regarding this particular case, we would need some more specifics. Um, but I know, um, you know, having friends who are who are owners of property who invite and welcome um, uh, Section 8 um, residents, um, it's a it's a tough layered situation sometimes to kind of work through, especially uh, when there are disagreements about when and how those funds uh, should be used and applied. Yeah, and what's so unfortunate? I mean, my parents used to own an apartment building mm -hmm. uh, in Oakland, and uh, uh, some of the tenants uh, in that apartment building on 73rd and Bancroft, if mm -hmm. I can remember, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, were, you know, were Section 8 uh, tenants. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you. It's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sometimes there are folks that utilize Section 8 uh, for, as it's intended. And I think there are folks that also have abused uh, mm -hmm. Section 8 uh, as well. And so... Um, I think you're right. I think we need more facts uh, mm -hmm. to come out in this lawsuit, in this case. Uh, but I think it's a really important case for the state of California and for the nation as, you know, folks are really struggling to 
do things differently, to get creative about addressing mm -hmm. the housing affordability crisis in that's this country right, and right. the homelessness crisis in this country. And so we'll absolutely continue to keep our eye on this story. We certainly will. And on to one of your favorite uh, stories, as today <laughs> will be the test in how well the Republican majority can work together moving forward. Uh, as a vote is scheduled on the new rules package, Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez already stated that he will not be supporting the rules package due to agreements made by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy with Freedom Caucus members who had vowed to block his speakership if he did not give in to demands. Those concessions include a cap on discretionary spending, three seats on the Rules Committee for Freedom Caucus members, and the ability to more easily oust McCarthy. House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries feels a small group of Republicans have been given too much power. Now, House Republicans as a whole do have ambitious plans ahead. They promise to quickly launch investigations into areas such as the Justice Department, the southern border, COVID-19, the Afghanistan withdrawal, and the business dealings of Hunter Biden. In Miami Shores Village, black lawmakers are resigning from their positions, all due to a new law that took effect at the start of the year. The new amendment to the state constitution, which was approved by voters in 2018, prohibits lobbying by certain public officials during and for six years after their terms. For many who resigned, it was due to their day jobs that put them in violation of another state statute that bars public officials from working for companies doing business with their governments. The village has not yet scheduled a date to choose replacements to fill the seats now left vacant. The Reverend Al Sharpton is working towards a safer country for us soulmates. The Rev will convene with top black city and state elected officials for a summit to discuss public safety. The leaders will privately meet in Harlem Thursday evening marking the first such meeting of a of uh, New York's black leaders who hold more citywide and statewide offices than ever before. Now in December, Sharpton called for the meeting given the historic moment. Some of the elected officials that are scheduled to attend include Mayor Eric Adams, State Attorney General Letitia James and Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins. As many black lawmakers are making history, lawmakers in Atlanta say the city council president is making the step backwards. Former officials Andrea Boone and Marcy Collier uh, over street uh, eps, uh, over over upset after Atlanta's uh, city council president Doug Shipman failed to appoint black women to chair any of the council's seven committees, which, according to the former members, is a four decade long legacy. The two women took out a paid ad in the local paper calling Shipman's actions arrogant and saying that they could have brought uh, light to this behind closed doors, but these actions of long-term implications and must be exposed. All right, shifting gears here as we check back in with Mr. Hamlin. You could really feel the energy inside the stadium as the Bills took to the field Sunday. This was the first time they played since their safety. DeMar went into cardiac arrest during a Monday night football, and the world has been closely watching his recovery. 
As the Bills took the field on Sunday, you can see at the start of the game, they started running out on the field, honoring safety DeMar Hamlin, carrying flags with his jersey number three. The game against the Patriots off to a great start when Naeem Hines caught the opening kickoff, running 96 yards for a touchdown to give the Bills an early lead. The win all for DeMar. I mean, our spirits have been high ever since uh, you know Thursday morning you know, when we got the news. So just wanted to come out and, and play free, play loose, play, play for him. And uh, that first, obviously the first kickoff, and you couldn't have scripted any better, man. Like it was, it was pretty, that, that one was pretty emotional. The Bills safety tweeting this picture of him and his parents at the hospital. Also live tweeting during the Bills game from his hospital bed. Hamlin has been in critical condition since he went into cardiac arrest during the Bills Bengals game during Monday night football. That medical emergency followed what looked like a routine hit on the field. Medical staff jumped into action performing CPR right away. The 24 year old was sedated and then put on a breathing tube. On Thursday, doctors announced that Hamlin was responding, even asking doctors who won the game. On Friday, his breathing tube was taken out and he was then able to FaceTime with his teammates. The city of Buffalo has been through a lot lately, a mass shooting that took 10 lives at the Topps grocery store and the city still recovering from that major blizzard that left dozens dead. Fans tell us this game was emotional for the entire city. We need to win the Super Bowl. We need to go to the Super Bowl. Buffalo needs the Super Bowl. We needed it for years, but we need it this year. Indeed, Hamlin says he's so grateful for the fans who have been supporting him and sending their prayers. He knows he'll need them as this is going to be a long road to recovery. Since he went into cardiac arrest on Monday, his charity has raised more than $8 million and counting. Uh, just a great story, a remarkable uh, recovery that he is having. And uh, we are excited that uh, his particular team, the NFL and the union, have decided to uh, you know, pay this contract out, uh, which is really unprecedented. I know that his injury was none like was like none other, uh, but maybe this will fall out or into other injuries that are just ex as serious that that are career ending, such as the CTE and, and CTE. I know there's yep. a lot of um, debate as to you know how to go about um, looking at that, but hopefully uh, this. I mean, I think. I th you know, listen, God works in mysterious ways, and I'm so glad he is still here with us. But I think the fallout of this is really going to be positive as to what areas uh, it can affect. It, it brought a nation together, first and foremost, from yeah. all different walks of life yeah. and, and beliefs and colors yeah. uh, to, to pray for this young man. And hopefully we can continue to tap in this for the, for the, for the good. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really the wonderful thing that we get a chance to see. We see folks coming together and what a unifying force. Mm -hmm what a unifying force he has been uh, for our country and for folks that love football, what a unifying force he's been for Buffalo, who, right. as you mentioned in the, in, the, in the package, you know, Buffalo's been through a They've lot. They've been catching it. Uh, and yeah. so uh, we love watching this miracle continue yes, to unfold great, great word. right before our eyes. That's right. Still ahead, the shocking new research regarding black men mm. and cancer. We'll tell you everything you need to know to stay on top of your health. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. It's an amazing story. It is. And I want, you know, hopefully things will continue to move.
According to an analysis published in European Urology, black men have the highest rates of prostate cancer incidence and related mortality compared with all other racial and ethnic groups among U.S.-based men. Yeah, black men had a 68% higher incidence of prostate cancer and a 111% higher death rate related to prostate cancer than white men who had the second highest rates for both among the groups studied. The highest prostate cancer death rates occurred among men located in western uh, country, uh, counties uh, in the U.S. with the highest incident rates in the north and parts of the Southeast. New federal data shows that among the few hundred MPOX cases diagnosed in women, less than 3% of total U.S. cases, black and Hispanic women, were disproportionately affected. Now, among infections, 44% were black women and 23% Hispanic women. Among the roughly 60% of women with data on their recent sexual behaviors, 73% reported sexual activity or close intimate contact as the likely way they were exposed. The 2022 outbreak was primarily concentrated in men who have sex with men, a group that includes people who identify as gay, bisexual, transgender, and non-binary, although health officials have said anyone is at risk if they have direct contact with an infected patient. According to a new policy passed by the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network Board, black patients disadvantaged by a race-based measure of kidney health will now be eligible to receive modifications to their waiting time, potentially improving their prioritization for transplants. The change was unanimously approved by the board uh, in a December meeting and went into effect on January 5th. The policy is intended to address disparities in waiting times faced by black patients on the kidney transplant wait list. Some of these patients were disadvantaged by the earlier use of a measure that took race into account when measuring kidney function. A new Alzheimer's drug is hitting the market, Laquimbi, the first with clear-cut evidence that it can slow the disease down. But experts are voicing caution as the drug isn't a cure and is only intended for early stage patients. It also comes with some safety concerns. In an 18-month study of nearly 1,800 people, the groundbreaking drug appeared to delay early stage patients from getting worse by about five months. The study also found that 13% of recipients had swelling and 17% had small brain bleeds. This might explain why some experts are a bit divided over the meaningful benefits of this particular drug. And I, and I, and I know these drugs are, are needed as Alzheimer's has just ravaged uh, a sector of our um, generation. And I've even read um, young uh, patients, there's youth, there's, there's child Alzheimer's that, mm -hmm. that uh, exists as well. And so I know we need to push forward with these drugs, but are you adding insult to injury with an already very cruel um, disease, a very cruel condition? And you just wanna make sure that when you are taking these drugs, any drugs, that, that, that they're gonna be safe and that the, the, the benefits outweigh the risks. And I think that's the issue, not only with this type of drug, but, but all drugs across the board. Well, I think the fact that we've got to this point in terms of FDA approval, that mm -hmm. is very, very, very sure, encouraging. Sure. Um, and you know, while this drug may make a difference in terms of slowing down the progress of Alzheimer's by about five months, mm -hmm. those five months can make a big difference. Those mm -hmm. five months might mean them sort of being 
more of themselves mm -hmm. for another birthday, for mm -hmm. another Easter, for another Christmas yeah. or holiday. And mm -hmm. so um, what a tremendous step forward in science. Uh, and uh, with more research, hopefully we can expand yes. uh, that time period uh, even more. Yeah, keep it coming. All right, soulmates, your curls are safe for now. Miel Organics founder Monique Rodriguez has intervened in the recent controversy surrounding her rosemary mint scalp and hair strengthening oil after concerns were raised about a possible change in the product's ingredients following the surge of white consumers influenced by TikTokers like Alex Earl added the oil to their hair routine. The Meal Organics founder addressed the concerns on the company's Instagram page, writing, quote, there have been a few recent comments posted on this topic, but I can personally guarantee you that we are not making any ingredient changes. Black women reportedly called white consumers out for buying out the rosemary oil that was initially made for multicultural hair. Black Americans who saw cryptocurrency as a way to close the racial wealth gap and get rich outside of traditional financial methods are now regretting it as the value has hit rock bottom. According to a September Pew Research poll of more than 10,000 U.S. adults, 18% of black Americans had invested in, traded, or used cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin and uh, Urethrum. Uh, compared to 13% of white Americans. Now, several notable black figures, including New York City Mayor Eric Adams, NFL wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. and rapper Jim Jones, they all promoted cryptocurrency and lost money during its decline. Large companies, including the National Basketball Association and Major League Baseball, also got in on cryptocurrency. Walgreens Boots Alliance and CVS Health Plan seek to, uh, to seek U.S. certification to dispense the abortion pill. That uh, move could dramatically widen access to thousands of pharmacies in the parts of the country where abortion remains legal. The FDA has been under pressure to loosen decades-old restrictions on abortion pills, which until recently could only be distributed in healthcare settings. The move means brick-and-mortar pharmacies will be able to dispense the pill for the first time pending certification. Now, experts say in order to be certified, pharmacies must commit to protecting this confidential information. The certification process is not particularly uh, as hard and the drug has a longstanding safety record. All right, soulmates, I never thought I'd be reporting on this story, but here we go. Residents in Louisiana will now need a government-issued ID in order to enjoy their favorite Pornhub categories. That's right. According to the regulation, which went into effect on January 1st, people in the state must provide proof of their age in order to view adult content on sites such as Pornhub, RedTube, and XNXX. Uh, lawmakers are looking to prevent minors from accessing websites that exceed 33.3% uh, of pornographic content. Now, the law will allow parents to sue on behalf of their children. California passed similar laws restricting minors' access last month. Uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, he introduced a bill that would offer similar restrictions on a national level. Yikes. There's a lot going on in Louisiana. 
I guess uh, mm, here's the thing um, I, I appreciate it I don't know how effective that would be because you know as a young sc scroller you know you could be you know tossing up your, your, your feed in Instagram or from in particular uh, uh, Twitter and find something that either is, is suggestive or just outright pornographic so I'm not understanding this 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 casting of this net in, in hopes, I just don't understand what it, what it, I understand the, the attempt and the attention, but I'm not, I don't think that's going to be that effective. Yeah. I just really don't. Yeah, and, I, and you're not alone. There are a number of lawmakers in Louisiana that uh, agree with you. They mm -hmm. don't think that this law is going to be easy to enforce. Mm -hmm. They don't think that it's all that necessary. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are, but it's important to note that the lawmaker that authored this mm -hmm. um, is you know, uh, somebody who, you know, has an expertise in sex addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, part of his concern in, in authoring this law is, you know, saving kids, you know, from going down that path. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not this is even constitutional. I was going to say is can he can he even can he even do this? And, and especially if some of his colleagues might be the ones needing to turn in their IDs to. to <laughs> Still ahead, you are, if you're feeling burnt out at your job, are you feeling burnt out at your job? That's the question. Well, you're not <laughs> alone. If you are, we're going to tell you what experts say you should do if you're feeling exhausted. You're watching Fox Old Black Report. We'll be back after this. For those who can't watch it, there might be. Welcome back, Soulmates, as we do our best to get you through this Monday afternoon or evening, depending where you're joining us from. Let's tap back into our top stories of the day. So many questions continue to linger after a six-year-old student shot his teacher inside a classroom. It happened at an elementary school in Virginia. This happened on Friday. Now, the teacher was rushed to the hospital with life-threatening injuries. School is closed today and tomorrow for the community to process this tragedy and for school officials to arrange for counselors as needed in the meantime, officials are demanding answers and changes to Phoenix now where the Wall Street Journal is asking for answers from the Phoenix Police Department after one of its black reporters was handcuffed and detained shortly after conducting interviews outside of a Chase Bank. The incident between reporter Dion Robin and the Phoenix police officer took place in November, but became public last week after a local news station in Phoenix reported the incident. Documents show that the reporter was handcuffed and detained shortly after conducting interviews about savings accounts outside of that bank. Uh, he says he was in street clothes because he did not want people to believe he was trying to sell them something and that he said he was unaware uh, the sidewalk in front of the bank was private property and that the bank's employees did not ask him to leave. Now the police department said it has launched an internal investigation into the incident. And two agriculture businesses in the Mississippi Delta, along with a group of black farm workers, have settled lawsuits over claims the farms hired white laborers from South Africa and paid them more than local black employees for the same type of work. Southern Migrant Legal Services and the Mississippi Center for 
Board Justice filed one of the lawsuits in September of 2021 on behalf of six workers against Pitts Farms Partnership, which grows cotton, soybean and corn. Now, two more plaintiffs joined the uh, suit uh, back in November of 2021. The groups filed the other lawsuit in April on behalf of five workers against a catfish grower. Federal court records show the two lawsuits were settled back in December with the terms of the settlements remaining private. And lastly, here in South Carolina, federal judges have ordered lawmakers to draw new congressional maps. This all comes after courts ruled the U.S. House district lines uh, of a seat flipped by Democrats for years ago were intentionally redrawn to split black neighborhoods to dilute their voting power. Now, the state used the maps in this past November's midterm elections after the Republican dominated state legislator withdrew or redrew, excuse me, the lines earlier last year following the 2020 U.S. Census. The ruling said the coastal first district running from Charleston to Hilton Head Island was drawn to remove black voters and make it a safer seat for Republicans. The judges requested state lawmakers pass the new U.S. House maps by the end of March. They said no elections can take place in the first district until it is redrawn. The quarter line. Thank you, Courtney. Now off to Brazil, where chaos, there's chaos in Brazil. As supporters of Brazil's former president stormed the country's capital city. Protesters broke into government buildings, climbed rooftops, broke windows, and damaged the presidential palace. Brazil's new president promised to find and punish those responsible. So far, 400 people have been arrested. Protest of the new president's win started at the end of October. Now, Brazil's Superior Electoral Court has rejected voter fraud claims from the former president, who is believed to be hiding out in Florida. A Mississippi environmental regulator has denied claims by the NAACP that the state agency he leads discriminated against the capital city of Jackson in its distribution of federal funds for wastewater treatment. Now, in a recently discovered letter to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality Executive Director Christopher Wells wrote that the NAACP has, quote, filed to allege a single fact to support its argument that the agency discriminated against Jackson. Now, he said he believed the ongoing civil rights investigation into the matter was politically motivated. Jackson is set to receive nearly $800 million in federal funds for its water system, the bulk of which comes from the $1.7 trillion spending bill that Congress passed uh, in no December. St. Paul, Minnesota is the latest city to create a commission on paying restitution to black people for slavery and historic institutionalized racism. According to the Twin Cities Press, the St. Paul City Council voted unanimously to create the St. Paul Recovery Act Community Reparations Commission. The 11-member group will focus on how to repair systemic racism in the city, which includes redlining and environmental injustice. The committee will examine the displacement of black residents and businesses in the city's Rondo neighborhood, who were pushed out by the construction of Interstate 94 back in the 1950s. 
What an amazing legacy as Toni Morrison, one of Princeton University's most famous professors and author of black experience novels will be highlighted in a series of events and exhibitions scheduled at the institution next month. The community-wide series, Toni Morrison, Morrison, Sites of Memory, will explore the late writer's creative process and influences on the past, present, and future. Now, in 2024, the university acquired 200 linear uh, feet of research uh, materials, manuscript drafts, correspondence, photographs, and other collectibles that were combined into the Toni Morrison Papers Archive. A Wisconsin prison has graduated almost 100 incarcerated students since the launch of Second Chance Program at Milwaukee Area Technical College. Now, the program is aimed at helping the inmates get employment when they're done serving their time. Each of the students in last year's graduating class completed 17 credits in one semester before graduating in December. Hinoak Demisi, an African-American inmate, says, hopefully, this is going to put me on the right track. We love to see it. And the Pentagon has ordered a Defense Department-wide effort to begin removing the names and items associated with the Confederacy as per last year's recommendations from the Congressional Naming Commission. Now, the military branches and all other DOD organizations will now work to rename or remove the more than 1,100 street, school, and building names, symbols, displays, monuments, and paraphernalia in the U.S. and overseas that honor or commemorate the federal states of America. The Pentagon has until January 1st of next year to finish its task, and it's estimated the DOD would need to spend about $62.5 million to remove or retitle those assets. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin gave his go-ahead on the effort last October as this effort to uh, right the wrong, if you will, continues. And, and, and it's it's good to, to hear things like this. And what a difference good leaders make. Mm. What a difference it makes when folks from our community are put in positions of power and influence and authority. Uh, and, you know, Secretary Austin is the first African-American to serve as U.S. Defense Secretary. And you can see he's not holding back. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was unafraid to sort of authorize this writing of uh, this wrong uh, is, I think, incredible. Um, what's even more incredible than that is just these two movements that are uh, that are growing mm -hmm. right before our very eyes. It's the movement for reparations. We've reported, you know, on reparations efforts, commissions that have been set up set up to study uh, what it would take and what reparations might look like in places like Providence, Rhode Island, and Evanston, Illinois, and my home state of California. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's great to see right here in our backyard in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, they are hearing that call to action uh, and acting accordingly. But not just that, but the, the movement uh, to take down Confederate monuments mm -hmm. and really uh, erect monuments that are more reflective of the hidden figures uh, that we've come to know and celebrate in our communities. This isn't a top-down thing. This is a grassroots thing. And so I can't wait to see and report on more of this this year. And when you say hidden figures, that's what comes to mind for me. Whoever is going to be tasked to do the research to, to figure out 
uh, who or what the renaming should be all about. So it is all inclusive. And, and the names and the monuments and the symbols and the paraphernalia is, is a representation of everyone's story as to how America came to be. So I'm just interested in knowing who is going to come up with, with the names to, to rename over 1,100 uh, monuments? And do they have to go through some sort of approval process? Is there going to be an argument as to, to why and why not? So I appreciate the effort, but that seems to be a, a quite a daunting uh, task that, that I'm hoping um, can, can be effectively uh, done. But yet and still, there is community healing in that process. There is. There is. We there love is. to see it. Um, now, a new Gallup poll found that stress among workers around the world is at an all-time high. And women in the U.S. and Canada were some of the most stressed employees worldwide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so what can you do if you're burned out? Well, here is some advice. Is work no longer working for you? Licensed professional counselor Natalie Gray says you're not alone. The pandemic made many of us more aware of what needs to change at work. Anytime you're away from something, going back to it, you can see it from a different lens. You can feel it in a different way. And people are experiencing that where they are now more aware of what was already there. And some people are deciding they don't want to do that anymore. Or they want to see changes. Gray says some employers are changing, allowing employees more flexibility about where and how they do their jobs. But employees who work in industries like healthcare, with long hours and little control over their assignments, may be at risk of burnout. On its website, Mayo Clinic says signs of burnout can include feeling cynical or overly critical at work, being irritable or impatient with coworkers or clients, lack of energy, difficulty concentrating at work, and feeling disillusioned or unsatisfied. There can also be physical signs like frequent headaches or stomach upset. And Gray says some of that stress may be self-imposed. I read some statistics that said 90% of the things we worry about never happen. 90% of them never happen. So we do have what I call self-imposed stress. We do want to be mindful of that. But also having a work-life balance, um, that will certainly help us. Having things to look forward to beyond work, those things also could support someone who's having work stress. So when should you think about quitting? There are other people who have what I consider more of a lower tolerance, and they're like, I can't do this anymore. And they'll know it. I mean, it may look like burnout. They just feel physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted. And if that sounds like you, you may need to make a change. But Gray says the lowest stress way to find a new job may be to keep the one that you have while you're looking. And so don't don't be so quick yeah. to leave. Right. You know, make sure you, you make a plan uh, and, uh, and and then do what you need to do. Yeah, you can't leave, you know, something uh, for nothing. But I think there was this major shift during uh, the pandemic and folks have just not shifted back. I was, you know, out and about this weekend and there was a store, a very popular store that had to close uh, to service the delivery truck because there were not enough employees to uh, continue to maintain the store, uh, to ring folks up and service and, and, and bring in the, the items that were being delivered to the store. So something has definitely shifted. 
Um, and, and I don't know if we're ever going to go back. We're just going to have to find a, a new way of, of being in this new way because uh, folks are finding different alternatives because they're not allowing that stress <laughs> to stress them as much as maybe prior to the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I think the pandemic has had and oh. continues to have an enormous uh, effect mm -hmm. on our, our, the culture around our work. Psyche. Uh, and the future of work, how we think mm -hmm. about the future of work. I mean, I remember when work from home, you know, was um, really more of a privilege, it was. right? And and now, you know, it's come to be widely accepted. And, and we found that a lot of companies said that they were actually uh, just as productive, if not more, when, when their staff was largely mm -hmm. working from home mm -hmm. uh, than when they were working in the office. And so we're living in an era where there's a lot of disruption that's happening mm -hmm. in industry. And that's not just burning people out, but it's also uh, inspiring folks to to dream about and act on new ways for us to, to show up and make a living, you know, without breaking our soul. That's right, reimagining, as you like to say. I like that word. That, that's right, that's right. Work I like at, it too. Uh-huh, reimagining. Work at home, uh -huh. did, I remember when working at home was like, what? Right. You work at home, doing right. what? And now it's like, okay. <laughs> I know, like. <laughs> Still ahead, one tennis star is pulling out of this mm. year's uh, of the year's first tournament. Yeah, we're gonna tell you who that player is if you don't already know and why that's all happening when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. All right, Soulmates, French Montana has responded to the shooting that left 10 people wounded at his video shoot in Miami. Now, according to a, a local news station there in Miami, no deaths were reported, but one person is in critical condition. Among the injured victims was Louisiana rapper Rob 49. Montana posted in a tweet, quote, last night I was in Miami celebrating the release of my uh, CB6 mixtape with friends at a local restaurant. We unfortunately were at the wrong place at the wrong time when an incident took place that left people hurt. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims and families at this time. Police said an altercation started somewhere else and eventually escalated at the time, uh, escalated to the restaurant where the shooting actually happened. Two-time champion Naomi Osaka has pulled out of the Australian Open. Organizers of the season's first Grand Slam made the announcement on Sunday without elaborating on the reason. Her withdrawal marks a double blow for the Australian Open. The day before Osaka's announcement, seven-time Grand Slam champion Venus Williams pulled out due to an injury. The 90s hip-hop group Black Sheep has filed a massive class action lawsuit against Universal Music Group over unpaid royalties in relation to an alleged side deal with Spotify. Now, according to Rolling Stone, the duo is accusing UMG of owing over $750 million, not only to them, but their entire artist roster for allegedly breaching contracts with a quote, sweetheart deal with Spotify. Black Sheep alleges that Universal uh, accepted both cash and company stock from Spotify in exchange for uh, music from their artists and then turned around and only counted the cash when it distributed royalty payments in a release statement, a UMG spokesperson called the allegations, quote, false and absurd. Michael Blackson has kept his promise to the motherland. The comedian made 
one of his dreams come true by opening his free school, Michael Blackson Academy, in his village in Ghana. What's up, Black Stars? Uh, he held the ribbon-cutting ceremony in his home in the Agona Nsaba Central Region last week. Blackson and his team started working on the school back in 2020. All love right. to see that. I love to see that. Let's go back to the 90s for a minute as Slick Rick, the ruler, will join the shortlist of hip-hop figures who have received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Recording Academy at this year's ceremony, a very short list. Slick Rick, also known as The Ruler, is behind such hits as Lottie Dottie, The Show, Children's Story, and a few more. He says, to be receiving this honor is incredible, and to be in marvelous company with my fellow inductees is humbling. The UK-born rapper, some of y'all didn't know that, considered the most sampled hip-hop artist in history, and this is just a great feat, as uh, most times when you think about uh, legendary awards, lifetime achievement awards, um, you know, hip hop artists, rappers, uh, sometimes aren't included in, in that thought. But to um, see someone like Slick Rick, who, you know, had his issues, first generation hip hop, had some huge um, hits that started in the hood and crossed on over to, to mainstream, yet he still uh, maintained his integrity, if you will. That was a big to do yeah. back in the day. Don't sell out. Um, it's just good to see that he is getting his flowers and uh, well-deserved. Those are some classics, the soundtrack of a lot of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I remember, I mean, I'm the youngest of five boys, but, you know, my older brothers, you know, they all, you know, played, yeah. you know, Slick Rick, they played De La Soul, Black mm -hmm. Sheep, they played, you know, a, a lot of the music around the house. Um, and this is going to be a really fun Grammy Award. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only is Slick Rick being honored, but the boss, Diana yeah, Ross, Ross, is being honored. Um, um, you know, as well as uh, Niles Rogers, Niles Rogers, Ma Rainey, right? So Ma Rainey's getting her due. Yeah, like after the, how many years? Yeah, My yeah. I mean, this is going to be the probably of one the of the more exciting Grammys mm -hmm. that we've seen in a long while. Remember mm -hmm. that Beyonce is uh, nominated for a number uh, of how categories. How did I know you would bring that up? Of course, you got you got to bring up <laughs> Queen Bee, right? You yeah. Know? I mean, the Renaissance album. A lot of people are excited about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we know that Kendrick Lamar, another favorite right of mine, her. he's nominated. Adele, another favorite of mine is nominated and so I'm looking forward to those performances but I'm also looking forward to watching these greats really get their flowers. That's right. Well said. Up next it's Black Excellence you don't want to miss out on. That's right. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. <laughs> okay. Black Excellence Time. Mm -hmm. The CEO of the Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey brand recently shared that they purchased a bank in Tennessee. That's incredible. I mean, you know, what can't they do? The announcement comes after Fawn Weaver revealed the whiskey company surpassed $100 million in sales in October 2022 and is expected to double that in 2023. Weaver founded Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey in 2017 and has become a best-selling brand and received numerous awards. In an Instagram reel posted on December 23rd, Weaver disclosed why this purchase was monumental, revealing not only did they buy the building, but also became the landlord of her in-law's bank. Wow. We love to see it. You know, uh, Fawn Weaver and mm -hmm. Keith Weaver, mm -hmm. you know, are uh, friends Husband of mine. And, and um, uh, I am just th thrilled. Mm -hmm. 
at what they've been able to do with the Uncle Nearest brand in such a very short period of yeah, time. Yeah, talk about generational wealth, especially if you tap in a little bit. Fawn used to be homeless. It's an amazing, yeah. amazing journey. You know, and really talk about making yeah. hidden figures not so hidden. Mm. Yeah, well now on to uh, a 20-year-old, 20-year-old uh, Jehu Graham and 32-year-old Francis Quay are investors and founders of Cheat Code Algo, a software that uses a series of indicators to predict stock market trends that generated five million wow. in revenue in its first year. Now they are on a mission to give away some of their trading profits to black communities over the course of two years. They just recently partnered with local organizations in Philly to start a challenge to raise money for families by trading stocks. They made 20,000 in 30 days and gave it all away in cash to local moms and struggling families. Ultimately, they want to give away $1 million to more families in need across the country. Uh, innovative, on-trend, smart, you know, and, and they know to give back, which means that they'll get it back tenfold. That's Exciting right. Exciting for these young brothers. I'm really excited for them, too. I mean, this is just, it's, it's, it's so great to see us demonstrating mm -hmm. uh, excellence in so many different fields and so many different industries, um, and for us really, uh, you know, leaning in mm -hmm. to uh, the tech space, yeah. right? You know, so it's not just offline, mm -hmm. but we online too, and we're you, killing it. And you, and you, and you can't, you, I mean, the give back is just what, what gets it for me. That's part of who we are. Amazing. Well, Thanks for joining us today. Yes, these have been great stories. Yeah. We appreciate you joining us. I'm Nicole Cortez. I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, stay, stay lifted. lifted.